One thing I learned about investing is just because you know how to flip a house, how to renovate a house, doesn't mean you know how to invest in a house. They're very different. The reason I say this is because people think just because you have a contractor that you can go ahead and flip a house. Somebody needs to know what an investment looks like, right? And it's usually not the contractor. It needs to be you. The first thing I want to cover is you need to understand your own limits. What do I mean by understanding your own limits? If you've never renovated a big project, don't make that your first project. You will lose money. If you've never renovated in the historic districts, but you've renovated perhaps a ton of 1970s, 1980s built, historic district is very different animal. You've never done that before, all right? You need to understand your limits. You can't be so arrogant to think that just because you've done one or two successful flips, every flip after that is gonna be successful. It doesn't work that way. I want you to be nervous and scared before you get into any project because it's gonna make you be very cautious with how you run your numbers and how you run that project. This is not a passive business. This is not a business that you're gonna hire somebody and you're gonna to wait to collect the check. This is a business you need to be involved in every single day that you're running a project, all right? So another thing is not having enough of a profit margin in the deal. A lot of people tell me, I'm okay making 30 grand. I analyze a deal with them and all there is is 30 grand, but you've never flipped this house before. So that 30 grand can get wiped away very, very quickly. A $30,000 profit goes away very quick on a $300,000 house. Anything changes, slows, it slows down, any delays, anything of the sort starts wiping away that profit really quick. Now, if you're saying, John, I can't find the big projects, then don't buy one. Do not become a motivated buyer. You will make more money by not investing in real estate than by buying bad deals. I've seen way too many people lose their savings chasing bad deals just because they wanted to do a property. We are right now, we were actually talking about it on the drive here, in the last three years together, we've lost about $250,000, not of profit, of investment, because of bad deals that we bought like four years ago because we needed a deal to do. We needed that project. We were motivated buyers and we got our asses handed to us on those projects. We lost a lot of money. Fortunately, we keep what we know always at the forefront. We're always doing what makes us money. So we've been able to take that loss, take care of it, and we're still fine, we're still in business, we're still growing. But it is a big loss nonetheless. It's still a quarter million dollar loss. I'm not happy about it. You understand? Like it is all because we got desperate, we became motivated buyers, and we got into projects we should have never gotten into. All right? So make sure you know your limits. Make sure you understand where it is that you're investing. I, I spoke to an investor. He's usually at these events, and he, he gets, you know, he kind of laughs when I called him out. But I got an, a call from an investor. He says, hey, I got a property. It's in the Woodlawn Lake area. It's not selling. What do I do? I look at his house. He did a beautiful renovation for a house that should have been in Stone Oak not in Woodlawn. The neighborhood did not match for the house that he did. So he did a massive renovation in the wrong style of house. So now he's sitting on the market, not able to sell that property. He's like, what do I do? I'm like, 
Keep dropping the price until it sells. There's not much else you can do. You renovated for the wrong area of town. You stepped out of your comfort zone. That's not the area that you're comfortable in. You didn't know what the hell you were doing, and now you're losing your ass on this deal. So how do you bridge this whole thing? Partner with somebody that does. This greed that we tend to have when we're starting off, that you need 100% of every deal, is just very, very silly, all right? I'd rather have 50% of a watermelon than 100% of a grape, right? So keep that in mind. When you take 100% of the deal, you're also taking 100% of the, of the risk. That's the problem. When you partner with somebody, if you bring me a deal and we do a deal together, I say, yes, we're gonna do this deal. That means that deal's gonna make money. That's the only reason I'm gonna get into a deal, right? So that should give you a, a way to understand and say, okay, this deal makes sense because John wouldn't be doing it because it wouldn't make him any money. He's not in the business of not making money, right? That doesn't make any sense. But if you've never done that deal before, you don't know that, right? So you're thinking, like I've heard this from people, like, hey, I made 20 grand on this. After I look at it, I'm like, you should have made 55 on it. They're like, how? That's the point. You don't know how. You think you won because you made 20, but you don't realize you actually lost because you should have made 55. You just had enough of a margin in there to mitigate all those risks that you took and all that shit that you did that didn't play out, right? So I don't want you taking those kind of risks. I tell my students all the time, I'm like, guys, we're in the business of making money. Stop taking these tremendous risks to make maybe 10, 15 grand. That is beyond stupid. You understand? Like, in, I'm sorry if that offends people, okay? I know there's a lot of trigger words, be careful. Um, but what I like to do is most of my flips, I target a minimum of a $50,000 profit margin, minimum on a light cosmetic rehab. Anything that's more than that, I want more of my money back. You understand? I am not doing 20, $30,000 flips anymore. They don't make sense to me. You understand? So I know my numbers. I know where I need to be. I know how to make money in this space. And I stick to my guns. I get a property in the historic district, I pass it off to somebody that knows how to do a property in the historic district. Because I did three properties in the historic district and I lost my ass on all three. You understand? I hate the historic district. I hate HDRC. I hate the people that live there. I hate the people that created it. <laughs> no, I'm just, <laughs> just venting now. <laughs> But it, it, it was a nightmare, guys. It was, it was beyond a nightmare. You would go to the city. You're like, hey, how do you like the plants? Nah, we don't like the windows. Why? Yeah, we just don't like the windows. Give me a target to aim at. What am I doing here? We just don't like the windows. Cool. That's how we, for three years. So it was a nightmare. Number two, you need to know your comps. Every flip starts with the comps, all right? You don't buy a house without running the comps on the house. What do the comps do? It's not just for, you know, understanding what the value is, but it's more for understanding what the quality of the renovation needs to be. You don't always need to renovate a whole house. That was the issue. When I got started, again, I was a contractor. I would go into a property. I was not getting a contract to save my life because when I was going into a house as a contractor, Oh, you need new trim, you need new cabinets, new doors, new this, new that. Yeah, my offers were low as hell, right? And when I went with an investor to the house, he's like, oh no, we keep the trim, we keep the doors, we're refurbished the cabinets. We're just giving it some paint, new floors, and this property's back on the market. I thought that was shit work. 
I was like, this is embarrassing. How can you do that? And like, cause we're doing investments. We're not HGTV, right? Like this doesn't make sense that way. So when I started understanding how to look at his investments, what helped me is understanding how to look at comps. So when I look at comps, I'm looking at what's selling, what's sold is important, right? We want to know what it actually sold for, but we want to know what's selling. Cause if I determine that the ARV of a house is 330, what is 330? If I put my house at 330, who am I competing with? Right? What are other properties? What are other buyers that are wanting to buy a house for 330 in about a mile radius? What options do they have? Do they have better options than mine? If the answer is no to all this, I'm excited, right? Because it's like, cool, I'm the cheapest, nicest house on the block. But if I'm seeing that for 330, you go half a mile out and you get a new build, I'm starting to get worried because that is a big competition, right? Nobody's going to want a 1980 house when you have a new build for the same price. It's just not going to work. So you want to make sure that when you're looking at the comps, you're looking at also what's active because that's going to be your current competition. So what I like to look at is when I look at what's active, how can I be better and sell faster than them, right? This does not mean over-improve, all right? You can put gold in a house and it's still going to appraise for what it appraises. But what you want to do is you want to make sure you're doing at least the same quality rehab and then do a little bit better. What's a little bit better? The landscaping, you know, uh, <laughs> orange door. We did an orange door, it stood out from every other house in the neighborhood, right? And, and it helped us out. But any little things, we put shutters on, on windows um, with cider shutters that we got built very cheaply and they looked very nice on the house, made it stand out. Little tweaks, little things like that that makes the house stand out. Um, and then we're looking at the speed of the market. So what does the speed of the market mean? Is how long are these houses taken to sell, right? Are these houses that they're being fully renovated, taking 30 days, 60 days, 90 days? Why does that matter? That's your holding cost. If you borrow money, I do all private funds. I borrow private funds from individual. It starts getting expensive, right? Just the holding costs. Houses don't like to be sitting vacant for too long. They break themselves. Things happen to them. I don't know why. Every house that I've had that sits for too long, shit starts going wrong with them very quickly. So I don't like my houses sitting for too long. So if I'm seeing the average days on market in that area are 30 plus, now I'm starting to gauge can I drop the price and sell faster? Can I do something to this house that's gonna make it stand out that much more than any of the other houses in the area? If I can do these things that's gonna give me an edge to sell it faster, I will do it and I will run it with those numbers. I won't run it with the hopeful numbers. When I buy a house, my numbers are conservative. When I sell, that's when I take the risk. But my numbers are conservative. So at the very least, I'm going to fall back to my numbers, right? So can I make more? Yes, but on the sell side, not on the buy side. That's why when people tell you you make money when you buy, that, that's why. You need to buy conservatively, and then if you can make money. This is why when we had that transition of interest rates, so many people lost their ass because they were buying houses expecting the value to be twenty dollars to $30,000 more when they sold. We bought every single one of our houses, even during the pandemic, we bought them with the number in that moment that we would sell for 30, 40 grand more afterwards. That was just awesome. 
but we never bought it with that expectation. They did. They were buying with that expectation. Then they were calling us saying, hey, can you buy this house for me? Or can you help me finish it? And I'm like, no, you're underwater. You're underwater by 40 grand because you also did a half-assed rehab on it just because houses were selling. Now you're stuck on the market with a shitty property and it's overpriced, right? Because you didn't do your numbers the right way at the beginning. Another thing I want to say about comps, a lot of you guys are buy and hold investors. If you're going to buy a property as a buy and hold and you're going to run ARV numbers, make sure that you're also factoring in your rent numbers. What I see happen is people look at a property and they say, look, yeah, ARV is 330 and I need, let's say, 50 grand to get it to 330, but I only need 20 grand to get it to rent ready. That's awesome. I'm going to do the 20 grand. But you didn't factor in the 50. So your house is not ARV ready with the 20 grand. It needs 50 to be at ARV. So you're paying ARV prices minus the 30 grand that you should have gotten. Now you're only budgeting 20 grand. You do that work, anything happens that you need to sell that house, you're $30,000 in the hole. Does that make sense? Because it's, as buy and hold investors, it gets you into a lot of trouble. If you're gonna run your numbers at the 20 grand, then look at the comps of a house that has the 20 grand level rehab, what is that house worth? Because that's your value, not the ARV value. That's if you do 50 grand, all right? Again, buy and hold investors get in trouble with this because they say, my house is worth 330. Yes, but you bought it only wanting to do 20 grand. So when you run those numbers backwards and you do the 330 minus the 80% minus the, the 20 grand, <laughs> that's not ARV. You understand? Like you don't have the equity in the house anymore. You're underwater if you need to sell that house. And a lot of people are underwater trying to sell their rentals. Because when taxes went up, insurance went up, they're not cash flowing anymore. They want to let go of the property and it's like, well, I got to dump another 30 grand into the house and I don't have the equity. That's why you run these numbers. So you're not caught off guard. Does that make sense for everybody? I know sometimes it kind of confuses, but um, type of buyer. So you got to know the quality of the rehab. And like I said, the price to sell, the time frame for selling, those are the things that we determine whether we're going to take on a project or not. So the biggest key factor for me is I look at median homes sold in San Antonio. That's where we invest in. I want to be at or below that number because that means that's where the highest demand is going to be. And then when I look at that, I'm looking at what is the lowest months of inventory at those price points. And then I want to be in those neighborhoods. Because what I want to do is when I put a property on the market, I want it to be under contract within the first two weeks. I don't like my property sitting on the market. I'd never have. So every property we get, we try to run our numbers. How quickly can we get this house sold? We do staging on our properties. The longer it takes, the more money you're spending. Staging, holding costs, private costs, all of these things. Things can go wrong with the house. People can break into the house. We've had that happen before. You know, they can steal shit. Things can go wrong all the time. The more time you give yourself, the more chances you have of something going wrong. So when we run our numbers, we're looking at speed. I want to buy a house in a neighborhood that houses sell in under 30 days. Quick. I want that kind of speed. That way, I know my money is always secured because I'm going to buy it, renovate it, and it's gone in less than a month. 
And if I need to drop the price, I can do it because I've already factored that into my profit. Make sense? Cool. Now managing the rehab. This is the fun part, it tends to piss people off. Any contractors in the room, I'm sorry, okay? Don't ever hire a GC to do any of your renovations unless you've worked with this GC personally in at least 20, 30 properties, right? That you know them very, very well. I don't care if it's your brother, cousin, best friend, high school buddy, don't hire a GC. You need to be the GC of every single one of your projects until the only people that this is gonna make sense to where they're gonna tell me, no, I can work with the GC, somebody has been doing this for years and knows exactly what the hell they're doing. So that person, don't listen to me because you know what you're doing. But for anybody else, do not hire a GC. What you're gonna do instead is you're gonna start a project, you're gonna create a detailed scope of work. Detailed scope of work based on your comps. What is it that you need? Now you're gonna to go to your house and you're gonna start on the exterior. You're gonna look at the whole house, the fascia, the soffit, any uh, rotted wood, any of those things, those things, scope of work, detail. I need this removed. I need this replaced. I need this painted. I need this patched. Detail to the line specifically. Every piece inside the house. I had a contractor at the beginning, demoed the whole house, right? Puts the flooring down. He says, what do you want to do with the base molding? I got just do a simple, you know, three and a quarter inch base molding. Okay, well, that wasn't in the bid. Like you ripped out the base molding. What did you think we were going to do? We we're going to just paint the, the wall down to the floor and just call it a day? Call off the edge? Like, you know, it's retarded, but it is what it is. Uh, uh, shit, retarded is another trigger word. Okay. <laughs> ridiculous. Sorry. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> I, I said the disclaimer at the beginning, okay? Um, but it, it, it's really silly. But the other thing with scopes of work, what it allows you to do is hire people based on the scope. So when people say, how do you pay somebody? When you complete the scope, you get paid. I don't care you got to pay your guys every Friday. That's your problem. I pay you when you complete the scope. Now when it's partially completed. This is why you can't hire your GC because the GC is going to come in. He's going to start a little bit over here, a little bit over there, a little bit over here. Then he's going to ask you for another draw. And you're going to go in and you're going to see that like, yeah, some shit's being done. Oh, okay, here's another draw. Here's another draw. Next thing you know, you have more project than you have money. That becomes a big, big issue in this space, right? You're going to have so much project left and not enough money to cover that project. All because you've been paying this person in advance for work they have not done. And it's very easy in a project to look like shit is getting done when really nothing got done. It's just mess everywhere, but it looks very busy. So when you do a scope of work, you're able, did you do the roof? Here's the money. Did you do the demo? Here's the money. Did you do the kitchen? Here's the money. Not partial. I've had people that are like, well, we painted this much of the house. We still got to do the kitchen. Cool. Let me know when you did the kitchen. Oh, but I need the money for Friday. Dude, use a credit card. I don't know what you want me to tell you. You had your scope. If you did your scope in two days, I pay you in two days. If you do it in two weeks, I'll pay you in two weeks. It's up to you how fast you do the scope. I don't have a problem paying you every single day. 
if you're that fast, which I've never met anybody, but if you're that fast that you can knock out a scope every single day, you'll have a check as soon as that scope is done. I'm there every single day paying these guys. You do the work, I pay you. Nobody can say I've never paid them for a project. Nobody. We always pay for the work that's completed, right? This allows you, again, when you hire, you hire subs for each particular task. How do you hire people? You ask for recommendations, all right? You don't go on Facebook, San Antonio contractors, and get any douchebag that answers your post, all right? Because after I see those answers, I see never hire this guy, he screwed me over. It's ridiculous, but it's like, go with people that do projects. There are a lot of people here that do renovations every single day. Ask them, who's your electrician? Who's your plumber? Who's your sheet rocker? Who's your tile guy? Ask them. This is your wealth of resources. This is why Will said, you wanna be networking because this is where you find people. I always hear, you know, especially from like buy and hold and fix and flip investors. I don't like wasting my time with networking, too many new people and all this shit. That's just ego. Don't do that. Come to the networking events, talk to everybody here. You have people just like Andrew and Will, they've been doing this for a long time. They have endless amount of resources and skills. That's who you want to be talking to. You understand? That's where you're going to get every single one of your contractors. Whenever one of my contractors flakes out or I need to fire them or something happens, I pick up my phone. I can have three or four good contractors ready to go. And I don't need to go look for them. All I need to do is call the people that I trust. They're going to tell me who to use. When you're vetting a contractor, everybody's a GC. All right? Doesn't matter who they are. They're all GCs. After 2008, Construction got very tight. Everybody with a hammer and a drill became a GC all of a sudden. So what I like to ask them is, what did you start off doing? Well, I used to be a sheet rocker for 20 years. You're my sheet rocker. I used to do tiles for 15 years. You're my tile guy, right? What they started doing, that's what they're really good at. Can they maybe hang some cabinets? Eh, maybe, but that's been like the last two, three years. I want the person that's been hanging cabinets for 20 years. That's who I want hanging my cabinets. So when you ask that specific question, you get to determine the skill set that they have. And you'll notice everybody, every contractor in this space has been a contractor for at least 30 years. Even if they're 36 years old, they've been a contractor. I don't know what the hell it is with that number, but everybody's been a contractor for 30 years. So you want to ask the first 20, what did you do? Right? Because that's usually the biggest trade that they're going to do. So then, so you're doing a scope of work. And the reason I'm beating this down, because this is how you run your whole project, is the scope of work. You're gonna hire the people, you're gonna pay them by the scope. Another, er another reason why I like the scope of work is you can manage multiple scopes of work at once. I've had GCs that they say, I don't like having too many trades working over themselves. It's stupid, right? You're delaying the project. Now, I understand, I don't want a painter working when the floor guy's doing the floors. I get that. But my roofer, my siding guy working with the guys doing the tile in the, kit, in the bathroom, they don't interfere with each other, right? But a lot of GCs, they don't, they don't look at it that way. They want one trade at a time at the project. That delays your project tremendously. Also, by doing this, if somebody screws up, which they will, you get to fire them quickly and bring somebody in for that scope. When you hire a GC, they screw up. Now to bring somebody in, somebody has to come in and say, man, what the hell did they do? 
I don't know where they were working. It seems like they started a little bit here. They did a little bit over there. I don't know where to begin. So here's a very big bid for all the other shit that I'm going to probably find along the way. Because it's not a very clear understanding of what it is the project that needs to get done in this. Right? It's not like a detailed scope. Like you had the floors to do. They finish out the floors. The other half is ready. That's it. It's very simple to bid that out. But if it's a little bit of the floor, a little bit of the electrical, a little bit of plumbing, some doors, some trim, how do you start bidding that out? So usually what ends up happening is they're going to overbid to cover themselves as they should, but that's only going to hurt you. So that's why we like scopes of work. Also, when you're managing a rehab, when a contractor gives you any doubt that you're like, ah, I don't know about this guy, get rid of them. It doesn't get better from there, all right? It ne they never make up for that difference. It's never like, I don't know about this guy. Oh, no, he actually happily surprised me. He did excellent. No, it's usually like, shit, I should have fired him two months ago. You know, that's how it plays out more than not. If you're unsure of somebody you're working with, if they're kind of flaky, they're not showing up on time, they say they were going to do something, they didn't do it, cut them. Cut them right then and there. Stop wasting any time. We're not here to make friends, all right? You're here to make money. And they should be here to make money too. So they should understand that you're firing them because they're not doing their job. So you want to make sure when you're hiring, you're managing contractors, you fire quickly. One of the things that we use with contractors, every time we're going to hand them a check, we hand them a document that's called a partial lien release. So if we pay them $1,000, they're signing that we paid them $1,000. Even if the full scope of their work was call it 2,500, we say we paid you $1,000 and there's 1,500 remaining. They sign it, they initial it, we sign it. It's a document. It keeps them from theoretically putting liens on the house. Can they still be a dick and put a lien on your house? Yes, they can. But chances are they're gonna, re they're gonna think about it twice just because they signed that document, right? So it's a very simple document. You want the check? Sign this. It's a one pager. You guys want access to it? Shoot me an email. I'll send you the one that we use. Um, but it's a very simple way to protect yourself and protect your projects, right? There's people that say all the time, I have my contractor sign this agreement, that agreement, this thing, that thing. I don't meet a lot of contractors that are willing to sign all that shit for a residential property. Commercial, maybe. Residential, just be happy they showed up and did the work right? Are they licensed? Are they insured? Hopefully, you know, it's kind of what you play at, you know, especially when you're managing seven, eight, nine projects at once. It's like, all right, you kind of pay fast and loose with some of these people. That's why the scope of work again helps you control that level of risk. Now, managing with your rehabs, another area that's actually besides the scope of work that's really important is managing your money. This is something very, 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 very few people even think about doing. They borrow money and then they think they're good to go and they don't start tracking that money. And like I said before, you do not want to get to a point where you're out of money, but have a lot of project to go. And if you are going to get to that point, we've gotten to it. Know in advance so you can plan for that to happen. So we have spreadsheets. We have a lot of ways that we track our expenses and our money from our, all of our projects. We got very complicated when we, the most we got up to was like nine projects at once. And it got very complicated managing all that capital, right? So it was something that 
managing that money, we acquired six properties early this year from a hard money lender that lent to an investor where the guy had still great deals. They were still really good deals. The problem is he never calculated his monthly expense on all those loans. So that monthly expense got too expensive and he couldn't keep up with it. Even though he still had plenty of equity on the properties, he was not making up his monthly expense of that hard money loan. And the hard money lender came and took that property back, all those properties back. And they had plenty of equity in the house, but they were so much into the process that it's not like you could sell them and get his money back out. They needed to be finished, right? So this was something that got him into a lot of trouble, made us a lot of money. But, you know, it was one of those situations that's like, if he would attract his money, and all he thought was like, if I buy a property and it's this low and it's worth this much and I borrow the money in the between, I should be good. Okay, but let's get beyond first grade math and actually run our expenses as you go through a project. It's very, very easy to lose track when you're pushing out five grand, 10 grand, five grand, 10 grand, Home Depot, Lowe's, the, the floor and the core, all these areas, all of a sudden you have lines of credit going out you're not realizing when they're due. You're not realizing that they're tied up with other projects. All of a sudden things come due all at once and you got to put up 30, 40 grand and you're like, shit, where did that come from? I don't have 40 grand right now. And now you're losing your project. So you got to keep track of your money. We also, John, my business partner, he's the nerd in the relationship. Um, and he built out a whole spreadsheet for tracking your, your expenses and everything. So if you want that, shoot me an email, we'll send that over to you. I'll send you the spreadsheet. I want to explain how to use it because it's fucking complicated, but it's a good spreadsheet. If you guys can figure it out, has all the codes, everything in there. Um, and the last thing I wanted to cover is any questions on managing your rehab, managing contractors kind of went through it quickly. Any questions on that thoughts, curiosities, everybody's got it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how are you supposed to know they finish this? I mean, so you need to look at all the art good fail. Right. So I think I want the situation, the still project. And then that's a excellent point, right? So we check, we, we do that covers inspections, right? We inspect our project before they start the scope. We set our expectations of what that scope needs to look like when it's completed. And then we inspect it at the end for you that you've never done this before. The only thing I will recommend is you partner with somebody that has. That's it. I, I'm not going to tell you, you know, here's some trick of the trade. There isn't any. Because as a contractor, I can go into a house and I can see things weren't done because I've seen so many of these. I can't teach you experience. You got to earn experience, right? And, and there's so many things that to you, you go in and you're like, oh, it looks great. I go in and I'm like, no. This will not sell. No buyer is going to pass this. No, no inspector is going to pass this. It's not going to sell. You understand? But you don't have the experience of seeing what a finished product looks like. So that's why, like I said, you partner with an investor, somebody even like Rick, right? Rick has, like he says, he does everything. This guy has tremendous amount of experience. You partner with him. He's going to walk into a house. I can walk a house in 10, 15 minutes. I don't need to spend an hour walking a house because I've seen this house thousands of times. I know exactly what's wrong with it. I know why it's wrong. I know how to get it better. And I know what it's going to look like when it's done. 
but that's been thousands of houses of being in them constantly, day in and day out, right? You can never learn that level of experience from a book, a course, or a guru. I don't give a damn who the hell is telling you this shit. Don't believe it. The only way to learn that is by actually experiencing it yourself. And the best way to do it is partner with somebody that has that experience. So, and, and even when you partner with somebody, partner with somebody that has the experience with that type of property. If I'm flipping a, a historic home, I'm not gonna partner with somebody that does 1980s and newer houses. They're not no, gonna know how to deal with a historic home. You understand? So if you're doing a historic home, The investor? No, I don't think an investor would ever want to be hired to run a project. It's not profitable enough. As a partner, now they, they're getting a, a, a nice return on their time. You got to understand, for us, we're not making what contractors make. We make a lot more than that, right? So it needs to be worth our time to one. Oh, never partner with a contractor. Ever partner with a contractor. No, 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 no. That... No, yeah, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> but no, you never want to partner with a contractor because contractors, most, especially in the single family residential space, they don't know how to run a business. You understand? Like they were people that did whatever they did really well. All of a sudden they wanted to open up a company and not go show up to work anymore. Right. I'm gonna hire the people and they don't manage the people. They don't know how to manage their expenses. They don't know how to manage their income. They don't know how to manage anything from their business. So what happens? They run out of money very, very quickly. And then they start tapping you for more money. You understand? And they keep tapping you. And we're partners. We got to get through this. We're partners. Next thing you know, you just dump. When it was a $30,000 rehab, $65,000, $70,000 into it. And you're not out. You can't get out of that property. And you're the investor. You borrowed the money or you put up the money. You're on the hook. Not that. You understand? Partner with a contractor, I, I say no. Are you uh, with being with partner with you? Are you this contractor? Yes. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're licensed contractors and we're also, so we manage the project and we put up the funds as well. So you bring us a deal and we'll partner with you. And we'll, I don't partner with anybody. So I've had people come to me and ask for funds and they were going to run the project. I don't do that. I trust my skills. I don't trust theirs. Right. And then that's just a personal thing for me. I, I know what I know. I don't know what they know. So for me, I prefer to partner like bring me the deal. I'll handle everything after that. And you can tag along for as long as you want. I'll teach you the whole space, which is usually very funny. They barely hang out with me for about a week. They stop showing up after that. They're like Home Depot again. I'm like, yes, Home Depot again. Let's go. You know, it's like, nah, I'm gonna skip this one. And then next thing you know, they don't show up anymore because it takes that much to manage a, a project. We show up to our projects every single day, especially if scopes are being completed. We're showing up every single day to check on the scope. Is it being done correctly? And I know you, you said, well, if you hire a towel guy, of course it's being done correctly. No, you don't assume anything. You assume that if you told them to put tile on the floor, they're probably started with the ceiling, right? So go and make sure you start on the floor first, right? I, I'm not kidding. Like, it's, it's ridiculous sometimes, the shit that they figure out to do. And it's like, oh, my God. You know, it's like, and you, 
I don't manage my contractors anymore because I would offend them. In New York, you, you deal with people in a little bit more direct way. Here, I dealt with them, they would stop working and go home. <laughs> they, they get their feelings hurt. Yes, sir. Get the breaks out as a G-Skating military inspector later on. I find GC and you go into all the above Tibos. And this first of in more boom had a guy that's walking down the aisle so he hey also hey out here I do it. You know that guy the dad's getting off. Part of that, you know, the speed update is that for it all. It's kinda of like he is a little, and I take a look at his oak for the foreign end, but I go in the old evil, but then PC. If you go in there, I sort of dating. You tell me how to burn me, lick off the turtle, like he's got a little like that. Right. I think that GC has turned around and builds things to surf out because I'm a bit involved. Then the plumbings that are actually going to fall and say, I'm going to book his thing. If you get a guy that's called these, oh, I get a GC forever, say, okay. Well, Depot, what bonus do you go to? We'll ever say, have you ever heard of a great up here? Yeah. We talk about That tells you a lot of the bitter fall in that area because I've been involved in a bunch of things that it's say they are, but they're not involved or super bad great. And that's how you live with it. It would make it close, not as in say, oh, I've been to a dozen stuff that appear. Yeah. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. No, no, no. I, I think you're, I mean, I've known all the managers at Home Depot, the people working the desk, especially in the morning shift. I know everybody that works for morning shift, right? Like you just, you know who they are. You know, the people that, that deal with the stock in the shelves, you're there every single day, right? So you make friends with them. Um, and, and I mean, I've never thought about it, but yeah, uh, it usually because I'm the GC, you know, I just manage the, the subs. So I never ask anybody about them. I just manage them myself. But it's, it's a good way to understand if they, you know, if they do that kind of work. But that's why, like I said, also the recommendation of like working with investors. When an investor recommends somebody, take it with a grain of salt as well. Like one thing I like to say is I'll tell you who I'm using. I'm not saying I recommend them because everybody has a shelf life. You understand? We've been screwed over by people. It's like, hey, I have a great painter. Here you go. Then I get a call like this guy sucked. You know, he put paint everywhere. It was a mess. He didn't do the job right. There's patches. And then I look like an asshole, right? So it's like, what I do with everybody is when they ask for a recommendation, I say, look, here's, my, here's the floor guy I've been using. Here's the tile guy I've been using. Good luck. You know, that's it. Because I don't know how you manage your people. I don't know if you're gonna manage them the way I manage them, if you're gonna give the expectations that I give them, if you're gonna keep your eye on them the way I keep my eye on them. I had a, a student that, he starts a renovation. It was a pretty big renovation in St. Louis. And he decides to take like a two week vacation. Okay, right? I've taken vacations in the middle of a renovation, but usually during that time, the renovation is stopped. That's why I took the vacation. He comes back two weeks later. He's like, John, you won't believe this. They did no work while I was gone. I was like, no. I was like, who the hell would have thought that? I was like, yes, they're like children. If you don't watch them, they won't work. You understand now I get it. Again, they should work. They should know better. I don't give a damn about what the shoulds be. It's your business. It's your money. You need to care about it. Nobody's going to care about it more than you are, hopefully. Um, so if you're managing these projects, 
Every single day you're checking on these projects. Every single day you're checking on the scope of work. Every time we get laminate, tell them, I want you to cut under the door jams. I want you to go underneath the door jams. I don't want to see any wood. I don't want to see any laminate sticking out. Why? Because that's exactly what they did. They butted up to the door jam and then they thought they would caulk all around it. It looked like crap, like complete crap on a $350,000 home in San Antonio. I'm like, dude, I thought you've been doing floors for years. Yeah, this is how we do. I'm like, then you suck. You need to go back and learn how to do this right. You understand? So every time I take on a project, cabinets, hey, I, it's weird, right? I, uh, maybe I'm the only one. I want my cabinets level. I don't know. You do a 36 inch on the top. I want the proper space at the bottom. I don't want you putting them on the ceiling. Nobody's going to reach those up there. That has happened too. We come back, the 36 inch cabinets are on seven foot ceiling. Like, who bought this house, Shaq? Like, nobody's re reaching those cabinets. And you think, but they should know. I don't care, right? I don't assume anything. And, and I will speak to contractors. I'm like, hey, I want this done this way. Yeah, of course, how else am I gonna do it? Hey, I don't know, but I want it done this way. I'm glad that it seems like common sense to you. It's good to me to hear that but I still want it done this way, right? So I set those expectations. But how am I able to set those expectations? I ran my comps. I knew what properties in the area looked like. I walked some of those properties myself to see the quality, because I mean, you'd be shocked at the quality of some of these uh, renovations. And, you know, I, I had the experience. I've done these projects. I know what the finished product looks like. I know when it looks bad and I know when it looks good. I know when it's gonna pass inspection and I know when it's not gonna pass inspection, right? So again, those are the things that have been done by experience. So the only way you can gain that experience is you work with somebody that has that experience. Again, when you work with somebody that has experience, you're walking away with money guaranteed, all right? If you pick the right person. If you don't, you're not guaranteed anything. You, and, and I always hear this and it just, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. But they say, I learn better on my own. The fuck does that mean? Like, how do you learn better on your own? You don't know what you're doing. You've never done this. If something went wrong, you're not gonna understand why it went wrong. You don't know what right looks like. You're not doing this better on your own. You're just being an idiot and you're gonna lose money. You understand? Because eventually the luck runs out and you're gonna left holding the bag and saying real estate sucks, contractors screwed me over, investors are greedy, Realtors are stupid, and then it's like, well, what did you do? I took a two-week vacation during the middle of a rehab. a boy, that's gonna work well for you, you know? So, look, and, and not a plug, but like, I do coaching, and I still tell my coaching students, if this is your first flip, partner with somebody local. Because the amount of knowledge you're gonna get from somebody local is gonna be tremendous. They're gonna tell you where are the best places to shop for materials, well, how you should be bidding for materials, who you need to be talking to. They're gonna introduce you to the people they work with. That gives you a massive learning curve that you get to bypass. If, if you are able, sir, what was your name? Javier. Javier. So if you go with Javier to a Home Depot and he introduces you as somebody he's working with and you meet the people that he knows, that's gonna give you a really good reputation at Home Depot next time you go look for something. You know, you start going more regularly, they're gonna know you because of Javier. His experience rubs off on you. Now you get to leverage your experience. 
We've had investors that partner with us, new investors, and they're able to leverage our experience to gain their private money lenders, right? Because experience is what private money lenders are attracted to. So that's how you're able to leverage. So partnering with people is not just about the money. It's about how quickly are you going to be able to grow and scale your business. And it's going to be much faster when you partner with people than when you try to figure it out on your own. Because for whatever reason, that's going to work for you. I wish it had to ship boats because the tower said these guys staring in baskets, they understand a little bit too. They all work with the because they have a lot of patience. Because others yeah. look just don't put you off because I don't want to do it. The others turn around to it. Hey, I understand and put it in the It's going to take me more time. I will work for you. Mm -hmm. So it's understanding your market. I'll leave all well over whatever the voice. Because it's very simple for uh, personnel. Yeah. I can't show that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it just, it, look, I'm a high school dropout. The reason I'm a high school dropout is because cheating is not encouraged. In entrepreneurship, <laughs> it's highly encouraged. Cheat your ass off. It works very well. There's no reason why you need to do this by yourself. No reason at all. Cheat. Every single thing you do, cheat. How do you cheat? Ask investors that are severely successful in this space. They're going to tell you, like Will said, they're going to give you the playbook. They're going to tell you everything. They're going to partner with you. They're going to bring the money, and they're going to make you money, and you're going to get to learn. It doesn't get any easier than that. We complicate it because of ego or whatever we think about, but you don't need that. If your ego is to be successful, cheat. It's going to be the fastest way to do it. You understand? Like, and then, then find the right people and you do that by coming to these events. Whenever you have Will introduce, you know, Rick or Javier or Andrew or somebody of the sort, it's like, all right, these are people I need to keep an eye on because they keep being mentioned. There's a reason they're being mentioned, right? These are people you can work with, you can reach out to, you can ask questions of. So these are people you want to be friends with because when shit hits the fan, they're going to be the ones that know all the trick, all the tools, all the people, everything you're going to need to get through the situation. Another thing with managing a rehab, the last thing, is if you screwed up on a project, you overpaid, market turned on you, whatever it is, don't start cutting corners to finish a project. Because the only thing that's gonna get you out of it is to sell quickly and for top dollar. The only way you're gonna sell quickly for top dollars is if you do an excellent job. If you do a shitty job, it's not gonna sell, it's not gonna appraise, inspection's not gonna pass. You're gonna spend double the amount of money and it's gonna sit on the market and people are gonna hate you for it because you're gonna get that back on the market sign. They're gonna come up and people are gonna be like, shit, something happened to this house. Why is it back on the market, right? So if you're gonna do it, do it right at the beginning. Even if you're underwater on it, finish it out correctly. It's the only way out on a project is to go through it and do it right. You do not start cutting corners. You don't start hiring cheaper contractors, doing cheaper materials, and escaping certain things. It's never going to work out for you. You're still going to lose. You're not going to fool an inspector. You're not going to fool an end buyer. They're going to come in. They're going to see the house looks like shit. They're not going to buy it. You understand? It's, you're not kidding anybody. Just because you say it's finished. If it's not finished right, it's not going to sell. So step number four is going to be listing the property correctly. So what do I mean by listing the property correctly? You need to be your own listing agent. 
Just how you need to be your own GC, you need to be your own real estate agent. Now you don't actually need to be a real estate agent to do this, but you need to know how to run comps and how to comp a property correctly. Perfect story for this. Bye. Oh shit, okay. Um, perfect story for this. I had a, a student in Florida, she has an agent. The agent tells her, hey, this house, I, I ran the numbers, I was like, you should list this house for 230, uh, 3.30. The agent came in and says, no, we're gonna list for 299 because they're gonna bid the houses up. I was like, I don't know Florida, but I'm looking at the actual data. None of the houses in that area are being bid up. I will list for 3.30. They listed for 299 and sold for 305, 310 instead of 330. I was like, okay, next house. We should list for 330. I said, no, 365. That's what the comps are. She went with my suggestion, 365. Got a full price offer for 357 cash, waived contingencies, waived everything, sold in a weekend. Her agent was like, wow, I didn't see that coming. Like, you should fire that agent, <laughs> right? But the whole point of that is you need to know how to run these numbers yourself. You need to know how to look at the comps, how to run the numbers, how to understand are prices that are listed, selling for list, above list, or below list. These are things you need to know because those are the expectations you need to set when you list a property. Another thing is um, staging. We love staging houses. We always, we staged them before the pandemic and we're staging them again now. Staging a house makes people feel warm and happy inside when they walk in. When they walk in, they see a house that they see where the living room goes, where the kitchen goes. It feels warm, it feels nice. They're much more likely to buy. Remember, buyers are emotional, especially the female buyer that usually is the one that pulls the trigger is the one that's most emotional. You wanna, you wanna help her feel warm in the house. And so we stage kitchens, living room, bathrooms, the main bathroom, master bedroom, and dining room. Those are the main areas that we stage. We always stage those areas. It, it's money, but it always pays. You know, we, we're always selling our houses really quickly at or pretty close to asking price. Yes, sir. I use another person's staging. I have no taste. Or bridge to invite stage in the board because you get it wet. I think it must. Correct. You you pay an, like an initial setup fee and then a monthly rent, which is why we like to sell within a month. Um, but at what point do I decide not to stage? And it covers so much time. But after that time, then pay a rental for that stage deal. Then then you don't decide, I sure not stage in your water. Uh, I don't, only, only when we have a, uh, a contract that's out of option period. But staging for us, you know, every house that we've staged is just worked out really nicely. So we factor in the staging cost uh, already in our, in our biz. If the war reads six weeks, it's the big C's, which is six weeks, and that house sell to the stock full in the six weeks. You continue to bait best? Yeah, we, we do three months. So holding costs for all our projects, we do three months. If it's a bigger project, call it like a $50,000, $60,000 renovation, we'll do four months. Um, and that's kind of what we, we guesstimate on the, on the staging time. So it, it always comes in below that, but like I said, we like being in the number. An advantage that we have that not many people have, we generate our own deals. So our margins are much higher.
Oh, yeah. There are three rifles. There was. It's not so, but I think it was a month ago where it was just like a stage dream room cellar. Like, oh, man, during the pandemic, we weren't stage. We weren't even renovating. We were just getting it livable as long as there wasn't anything wrong with it. It was selling for ARV in like a weekend. It was ridiculous. So within this period, they got to think about that. Oh, yeah. When did none of us work? Like, where will they best stage it? Ask through my outside of it. Yeah, and I mean, that, it goes back to the same amount, like when I said the comms at the beginning, how long the property sit on the market in that area. That's why you want to know those things, because that's what's going to factor into your holding costs and your staging costs and all of that. Staging, professional pictures, please, professional pictures. All right, no iPhone pictures. Professional pictures are not that expensive, and they look amazing. People buy your house from the pictures first. If they don't like the pictures, they're not going to go see your house. The pictures matter. We get them edited. It looks very pretty. Sunset, whatever it is, very green grass. You know, everything looks beautiful on those pictures because it gets them in the door. That's how they determine whether or not they're going to go see your house. So if you're saying my house is not getting any showings, chances are your pictures probably suck, right? It's not appealing to them to want to go see that house or you overprice the house. Um, Curb appeal. People under, under you know, they, they don't think about curb appeal. Pictures gets them to the house. If they pull up and they see a shitty house, bad lawn, overgrown bushes, it gives them a bad impression when they walk in. So when they walk in, they're already looking for other things to be wrong with the house because that curb appeal was terrible. We clean everything up and we'll put black sod down just to make it look pretty. So we less is more. Don't get too fancy with the curb appeal. And then um, we always leave something big for uh, inspectors to find. So inspectors are paid to be dicks, all right? <laughs> and I mean this with all the love. It, we, <laughs> all the love, man. We've done, we've done brand new houses that passed every single inspection, and we get a buyer inspector to come, and they say, oh, this little thing, this I'm like, all right. There's just no pleasing them. So what we do is we, we factor in something big and we leave it there. We already know that we got to do it. So when the inspector comes with their, you know, buffet of uh, things that went wrong, we say, cool, we'll do this really big thing that scares the shit out of the buyer, but the rest of the stuff is yours. Buyer says, done, because they're scared of the really big thing. We use it something electrical, something HVAC related, something that's going to make them think it's going to be like 30 grand a fix. And we already had it budgeted. It's a little trick, right? Uh, I'm not, you know, I don't know about legalities on things. I just do things. <laughs> so uh, it, it's just, hey, it, we've done houses where we try to stick to the book and they still find shit to be wrong. So it's like, all right, I'm going to leave you something to find. So, so that's it. That's all I got for you guys.